Wow, a week runs by so quickly and in this week's episode we'll do a touchdown in the newly released report Talent City Index by Future Place Leadership, which is a data-led agency that empowers places like cities, regions and countries to attract and develop people and business. My biggest learning from this talk was that depending on your occupancy, you will also value different things in a place. And to meet these diverse needs and requirements, you as a city have to know who you are talking to. I am Maria Svensson-Miklander and this is the Remote Lab podcast. Now let's invite the CEO, Marcus Andersson, to this talk. Welcome, Marcus, and I'm so happy that you have made the time to participate in our podcast. We've been working together before, but this is the first time that we are doing a podcast together. How are you? All good. All good. Sun's shining. Lovely. You are in Stockholm, right? I'm now an hour south of Stockholm in the countryside. I live in Stockholm, but I also spend a lot of time in the countryside. Uh, so I'm, I'm multi-local in that sense. Nice. You still got the summer weather down there, right? It's a good time of year. Yeah. Uh, you have made an incredible, interesting study around Talent City Index in the Future Place Leadership. Tell me about the study and what made you do it? Well, we at Future Place Leadership, we are all about places. What is it that makes a place attractive? Uh, and what do people look for when they choose a place? Uh, so that was kind of the main driver of motivation behind doing this study. We wanted to understand better how how cities can can uh, attract people and what people are looking for. Uh, and we are pretty geeky about places at Future Place Leadership. We are really preoccupied with the idea of what is it that make a place tick and what is it that attracts people in a place. Um, so the Talent City Index is a ranking of the 50 biggest city regions in a given country. And in this case, in Sweden, Sweden was our first launch market where we kind of tried and tested this index and we launched it back in May. Uh, and we will then launch it in a number of other countries, European countries, uh, in the autumn and, and winter. Uh, and in this study, we asked more than 2,000 Swedes uh, and those with a college degree or who are current students in the age group between 20 and 45, where they want to work and live in the future. Uh, and this is pretty much the target group or the group of uh, in the labor market or, or of the population that is relocating the most, the people that are most movable, so to say. Uh, so that's the reason why we chose this segment of the population. Uh, and we especially focus on occupations that are in big demand in the labor market, where the shortage is biggest. And I think everyone knows where, where that is, especially ICT engineers, um, teachers, healthcare professionals, lawyers. But we also focus on different age groups and different geographies in terms of what are people looking for if they live in a smaller place, in a smaller city, or in a bigger city. Can we see differences when it comes to attraction fact factors between these groups? Uh, we tried to look at gender, uh, but we didn't see any considerable differences. So that's something we didn't, didn't go too deep into. So that's, that's Talent City Index in a nutshell. Nice. Thank you for explaining more about that. And as I understand it from you, then there are several different target groups depending on, for instance, in which industry you work. But based on your studies and the learnings that you've gotten, which 
Or what is your view of the future of work and how do you think it would look like according to these different target groups? Do you see any patterns in that or what do they want? We definitely see some interesting patterns and some big, quite big differences when it comes to different occupational groups, for example. That's why we see the biggest differences. Uh, if you take, for example, those with a background in business and economics, uh, they value lifestyle incredibly high. That's the most important uh, attraction factor for them. And it's basically through the roof. It's considerably higher than any other attraction factor for any other occupational group. Uh, whereas if you take ICT professionals or engineers, they value lifestyle the least of all attraction factors. So just there we see a considerable difference between different occupational groups. Uh, and for those in ICT, career opportunities is the most important attraction factor, while it's the least important one for those in healthcare, for example. They don't care as much as, as other occupational groups. Uh, we saw some interesting um, findings in the data concerning safety, uh, and we saw some substantial differences. So if you take those with a background in social science or law, they value safety uh, or rank safety pretty low, whereas those in more mathematical backgrounds, if you're an engineer, uh, if you're in natural science or in business and economics, safety is really important for you. Uh, And I think, you know, we, we try to understand why is why is there such a big difference around safety? And the only conclusion we could, could arrive at is that if you have an occupation where you work with society, with societal issues, you may have a more kind of uh, up-to-date idea of, of safety, how, how concerning the safety issue actually is. And everyone knows that here in Sweden, we've had some concerns around safety in the bigger cities. Whereas those that don't work in, in with societal issues, they may have a you know less factual idea of of what safety means, uh, and may listen maybe then more to rumors or or listen less to facts. So I think that's a very interesting difference between occupational backgrounds. Um, we could also see that uh, attraction factors like closeness to nature family-friendly place, access to culture, they rank among the lowest of all attraction factors for all occupational groups and for all age groups. And this kind of surprised us a lot because we could sense that after the, the pandemic, there was a shift where people began value the local community, family ties, uh, you know, um, being in touch with friends much more than they did before the pandemic. Uh, but we can't really confirm that in the data. We can't see that people value this more than they used to, to do. There are still pretty unimportant attraction factors if it comes to why you move to a new place. It could be a retention factor, that you don't want to leave a place because you have all this already, but it doesn't make people want to move to a new place. And the same goes for access to culture. Uh, it's by far the least important attraction factors of all that we measured, and we measured 10 different factors. And it goes for all occupational groups and age groups. Um, and it led us to believe that culture is kind of a hygiene factor. You're not moving because of culture to a new place. But you may stay in your current place because of the culture. Because you're afraid that you're going to miss it if you don't have it. And I think that's an interesting uh, finding. And it kind of resonates with, with you know anecdotal evidence. Uh, I like the example of you know, why you ask people why they live in a bigger city. They may give, you know, give, give reasons like, 
you know, I like to be close to the opera. I like the opera. Okay, have you ever been at the opera? No, I've never been at the opera, but I like to be close to the opera. Uh, so it, it, you identify, you want to be a person that likes to go to the opera, but you've never been to the opera. But you will, you would miss that opportunity if you don't have that opportunity. So I think it's kind of an, a more of a retention factor than an attraction factor. Yeah, and the opera also might might lead to that other cultural activities are present uh, in that place as exactly. well. So. Exactly. Yeah, if you have an opera, you may have much more culture around. So to say, it's just the tip of the of the iceberg uh, in a way. Uh, we could also confirm that those in business and economics and law they are a little bit more urban than other occupations. Uh, they prefer bigger cities to a larger extent, whereas especially those in ICT, that was surprising, and teachers, and to some degree engineers, they rank smaller cities higher. They still like bigger cities, but they rank smaller cities higher than the other professions that I just mentioned. Uh, we can also see that those in managerial positions, uh, in leadership positions, and freelance and, uh, and entrepreneurs, they rank smaller cities higher. Not so surprising for the entrepreneurs and the freelancers, but somewhat surprising for those in leadership positions, uh, leading us to believe that they may have, you know, a pretty uh, flexible working arrangement, which makes it possible for them to work remotely, for example. Um, we could see differences when it comes to the propensity to move. Are you ready to move or not? And could really see two different clusters. One clusters with those in more mathematical backgrounds, so natural science, mathematics, engineers, ICT, business economics. They are much more prone to move than those in social science or law or healthcare or teachers. Uh, and it's a considerable difference. It's uh, double as high for those in ICT than for teachers or social scientists. Which, which you can draw some interesting conclusions from if you want to attract those in social science, more in this kind of soft, what we call soft studies, or more, more humanities studies. You need to work with a broader array, array of, of attraction factors, and you need to work harder simply to get them to move to your place. Whereas someone in ICT that has had the highest propensity to move, they are kind of ready to move. They, to move. they know they need to move because of their work, or they have some personality traits which make them more open to moving. We can't really say what's what you know what's cause and effect here. This is super interesting, uh, especially when I kind of reflect of how I am myself as a person. It might be my engineer background that draws draws me to Östersund, then a smaller city. <laughs> I never thought about that before. Uh, but what does like you explain a, a wide variety of things that is needed in a place to attract these different parts or the different target groups and if you think about being for instance a city in northern sweden that are part of the green transformation and need to attract all of these target groups what does it require from a city or from a region to basically meet these needs that these people have, or the, few, the talent of tomorrow, what attracts them in a region and a city? But it's a very good question. Uh, and I think, uh, I mean, one, one basic conclusion is that as a city, you need to work both with promoting an attractive lifestyle and promoting a, a dynamic, attractive labor market. Because people are moving both because of lifestyle and 
the availability of jobs, basically. You want to know that there are more jobs than the, the job you're moving for because you may want to build your career in that place. Um, and I think that, I mean, some places are strong in the job department, so to say. Uh, and if you take the green transition regions in northern Sweden, I think many of them, they have a very attractive labor market. There are jobs available. People know that there are jobs available. Uh, but they're not strong in lifestyle. So they need to build a case around the lifestyle you can live if you go to the coastal cities in northern Sweden. Many of them are, are you know, they have a strong industrial heritage. Um, so people know that. But they don't know that you can live a very attractive life there as well. So I think that's what you need to compensate with and, and work uh, with that as well. And I think your home region is kind of the, the opposite. Uh, well, it's the other way around. People know that there's an attractive lifestyle there, but they're afraid that there won't be enough jobs if you bring a partner, for example, or jobs to make a career. So then you need to compensate for that by promoting the jobs and showing that there is an interest in job market. Um, so I think that's that's one one conclusion. The other one is that you need to work much more with segmentation. And even even so, I mean, you said that they 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 need lots of people. There are shortages in basically all areas of, of society, not just engineers and ICT people. Uh, it's also teachers and healthcare professionals and, and, and what have you. Um, but I still think you need to work with segmentation in terms of understanding your target groups in a kind of persona way. Who Who's the persona you want to attract? Who are they as people? Uh, and then you need to look at demography, uh, you know, age, gender, and all that. But you also need to look at geography. Where are they coming from? Where do they live today? But on top of that, also kind of psychographic factors. You know, what values do they have? What kind of lifestyle preference uh, preferences do they have? Even personality. Uh, Richard Florida wrote a book some 15 years ago, 15 years ago called uh, Who is Your City? And he kind of really tried to understand how people identify with different places based on who they are as people uh, and could on a kind of macro level see differences in, in personalities between people living in the east coast of the US and the west coast of the US. And I think this, this idea has some merits still. Um, a lot of people, uh, sorry, a lot of places uh, are challenged by retention. So they manage to attract people, but people don't stay. So maybe you attracted the wrong people. They didn't have the, they didn't stand a chance of fitting into your place because they were never right in the first place. So I think you know going deeper into who you want to attract and who are these people um, to your place. I think that's one one very important conclusion conclusion we can draw from this this data. We spoke about anthropology in the last episode, and I think that this is also a very um, important factor when trying to reach these uh, different groups of people as well, understanding the core of the culture that they live, etc. Uh, but what do you feel that how does this spill over to the employers? Like, what do how do are how are they affected? But and what can they do basically to? to strengthen the story of their place for these people? I think, first of all, um, a very clear pattern now where when the labor shortages are increasing is that employers need to go further away from their place to attract people. So you can't attract people in your own city or, re or region, maybe not even in your own country. You need to go international sometimes. And the further away you get from your place, the less people will know about your employer brand. 
uh, you will be unknown. I mean, the big Swedish corporations that we all know about in Sweden may be pretty unknown in India or China or Brazil, where we need to attract people from. So then the place, relatively speaking, becomes more important. Um, so we need to use the brand of the place, uh, or an employer needs to use the brand of the place when they go further away from their, their, their current labor market, in a way. Meaning that employers and cities and regions need to work together and find a common agenda. And I think I still see a lot of employers that don't realize that they are place-bound. They are place-based. They are in a physical place and they are very much dependent on the success of that place. If that place doesn't thrive, they will have a hard time thriving and attracting the right people uh, to work for them. Uh, so I think that's that, that's a that's a pretty clear conclusion to to draw from this. Yeah, and it's very typical for the tr- green transition uh, cities and the, the the companies who's driving that as well, of course. Uh, so I have one last question for you before we wrap things up. If you were in charge of a city, what would you do? Well, I I would come back to this idea of segmentation. I would spend a lot of time trying to figure out and trying to understand who will fit into to my place uh, or our place. Because it will be easier to attract these people and it will be especially easier to, to retain them once they are in your place. Um, and I think we have kind of seen a shift when it comes to the whole place attractiveness domain from a focus on the external target groups, what can we do to cater to them, to the current residents. So attracting people or attracting companies is not an end in itself. We do it because we want to make life better for those that live in the place currently. Or we attract tourists because they will come to our place, spend money or, or you know, do some kind of activities that benefit our place. So I think that shift is interesting. And if we start focusing on the current residents in our place and to make life better for them, even if they have been there their whole life or if they recently move, we will strengthen retention. More people will stay, both those that have stayed in a long time or lived in the place their whole life and those that are that are pretty new. And the better we get at this, the more attractive we can become to others that want to move. And once we get good at this, I think we need to ask the question, who else will like it here? Who are the others that we can attract that will like the life we are building here for our citizens or our residents? Uh, and how can we attract them? Where do we need to go to attract them? Um, so I think that, that's a very important uh, um, lesson learned from this. Uh, there is a caveat, though, here. Uh, we are extremely complex as beings, uh, people, human beings, uh, when it comes to what is it that we actually desire, what is it that we want. I mean, smartphones is a perfect example. We didn't know we needed smartphones because before we had smartphones in our hands. Now everyone needs them. And the same can go for places. We don't really know what kind of places we like until we experience them. Uh, I'm both, I'm told you before, I I live in Stockholm, but I'm now in the countryside and I spend lots of time in the countryside. I'm both an urban and rural person. Uh, And I want to have both. I want to keep one foot in in the city and one foot in the countryside. But there could be people who haven't experienced both. They don't know yet that they may may be a rural person or a person that could work in northern Sweden to be part of this global green transition that is happening because they haven't tried it yet. So I think that's one caveat. When We can't can't plan for everything. We can't understand our target groups perfectly because they are too complex to capture in data and in surveys and research. 
when it comes to our, our desires and needs and, and wants, so to say. And I think the other caveat is kind of more political and politically sensitive. What happens if all places get really good at attracting exactly the people they want to attract? Will they start attracting just one type of people, so to say? And then we may lose out on diversity and, and the creativity that comes from diversity. We need some, some degree of chaos in a place. We need to have people with different backgrounds meeting, exchanging ideas. I mean, there's, no, there's a reason why, why um, Vienna and Berlin have been the big melting pots uh, in, the, in the past century or, or in the beginning of the last century where all philosophers and, and people in culture and, and writers went they met, they exchanged ideas, and they created new ideas. Uh, so I think we, we need kind of, we can't go too far into the idea of attracting exactly the people we want, because we still need, we, we still need the factor X. We need to attract a broader array of people so that we can build diversity. So if I would be in charge of a city, I would try to find the balance between, on the one hand, trying to identify the people that will fit and like the place, because they're going to stay, they're going to stay, but also open up for, you know, anyone who's interested should come to our place because we need all sorts of people in the place. We need the diversity. Mm. It is a complex uh, question and uh, uh, a kind of hard one to answer as well. But um, thank you for a super good answers, but also a super good report. I've read it and I'm very impressed by the work that you've put down and I'm looking forward to reading the upcoming reports on the other cities. What's the next city to release? Finland or Germany. Okay. In terms of markets. And the Swedish report is available in English next week. So, shortly. Ah, cool. We'll definitely put the the link to that in the uh, in the link for the podcast. Uh, thank you so much, Marcus, for attending this uh, episode. It was great talking to you and uh, getting to know more about Future Place Leadership and also the work that you've done with Talent City Index. Great. Thanks for this and have a really great week. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Next week, we'll take a deep dive in the European co-working research with the Brazilian-Dutch researcher Giselene Feiten-Halbrich. Until next time, take care and stay safe. <laughs> <laughs>